What's up, party people? Welcome to Ditch the Ick, a podcast all about navigating dating, career, and honestly, life in general as a millennial. I'm your host, Katie Carson, 30-something avid dater and entrepreneur. I am already like still giggling from our conversation before. So luckily there's an intro to the podcast, so I don't have to introduce ourselves, but I am so excited today to be joined by Natanya. And she is, why don't you explain what you do to the listeners? I'm Natana from Melbourne, Australia. I am the founder of Work Design for ADHD. So we're a consultancy that helps eliminate burnout, increase productivity, work performance, and just reimagine what it would be like at work when neurotypical and ADHD brains come together. It's a roadmap to ADHD productivity in the workplace. I love this. And as my listeners know, I have raging ADHD and I only just put this together. A self-diagnosed during the panorama on TikTok, of course. But then I talked to my therapist about it and she was like, yeah, dude, you didn't know this. And I was like, nope, (laughs) nobody told me. It was a really fun time. But I'm learning now too, like how much, you know, it's affected every aspect of my life and how I am so grateful that I have made the leap into entrepreneurship. So I have much more flexibility in my schedule because I'm learning how my energy works and how I can best work to be the most productive. And when you're trying to fit into a corporate nine to five, that just isn't the case. And especially for women, I feel like it's even worse. Is that something that you've seen? It's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. There's a reason why if you have ADHD, you're 300 times more likely to start your own business. There's a reason. It's because our systems are built to work on neurotypical attention. And the only way to stay in the game if you have ADHD is to appeal to the neurotypical gates, which means that you have to cosplay being a good little neurotypical, even when your mind is wandering during a meeting, or even when you're feeling really restless and you're inching to add to something, you got to hold it in and you got to keep on thinking like, how, how am I meant to act or how should it be? And the same with like output and all of that and concentrating and being able to meet deadlines and do what's required. Often we end up overcompensating in all these different ways and gaslighting ourselves at the same time because we feel incompetent in the process when really we have these insane gifts that any workplace would be absolutely honored to have because we can create this amazing like lift in the company where they could go heaps further than they would usually but they never get to access that because we end up suppressing our brilliance and we just get mislabeled either as underperforming disorganized or we just burn out and that's what ends up happening and then what most people feel is that, and and rightfully, they're just like, I've tried everything. They might switch between jobs. They might be like, oh, okay, it's the industry that's the problem. They change industry. It's the job that's the problem. They change jobs. They go for something that's so menial and so simple, and they're still burning out and trying to work out why. Not realizing they're working against their ADHD. And what ends up happening is they feel like entrepreneurship is their only choice. So you end up with a lot of entrepreneurs who don't even want to be entrepreneurs, but they're forced into it. 
But because we have the ADHD spirit, we're like, yeah, we got this. We're turning a new leaf. And it's amazing. I love us. I love ADHD brains. They're nice and juicy and amazing. But we're, it's hard. We're only five minutes in, and you have just explained my entire life and career. <laughs> I don't know. We just met. So, first of all, don't act like you know my life. <laughs> like, literally. I was mind blown, like just at the statistic of 300 times more likely, because here I am thinking like, oh, I've always wanted to work for myself. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. I That was just always a dream. And I just thought I could never do it because I didn't see it in non-physical labor spaces, very trade spaces. And then you just went out to outline my entire professional career in 10 seconds. So, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Because also, I don't want to be the boss, but I know I have I have to be the boss because nobody yeah. else is going to be the boss. You're the reluctant hero. Yeah, because the, the, the other thing with ADHD is that we have a really strong sense of justice. And what, also means, what, what that also means is that we don't want power over someone else. Mm-mm. So when you got to be a leader, you're the reluctant leader because you're like, oh, I'm going to help people and show them what's a good way to do it but you're not here to boss people around and that trips us up as well because that's not showing oh how are you a leader the adhd way let alone how do you work nine to five the adhd way how do you start your own business the adhd way yeah it's insane and it's so it's so funny because you mentioned the industry hopping. And that has been the hallmark of my career. And I'm going to be doing an episode soon about like how to make industry shifts in your job if you've found yourself down a path and you want to make a big change. Because I've made the big changes. I went from federal government to top three consulting firm to small town chamber of commerce to Maple Street Biscuit Company to performance marketing, but doing HR and culture and then going into marketing on top of doing HR and culture and now working for myself for the past year, which that first year was a journey because trying, like everybody tells you, you got to niche down, you got to niche down, you've got to specialize. And I'm like, hey, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to do only one thing for my business. That sounds like like a nightmare, (laughs) my literal nightmare. It's so bad. Um, It's so funny. Analogy for you. Yeah, please. With what you're saying. Okay. All right. I want you to imagine the most polished marble staircase and it leads to the top of a hill. Yeah. Okay. So So my death trap, basically. Yeah. (laughs) That's how people see a nine to five job. It's okay, cool. The path is laid out. You just need to be able to put one foot in front of the other and climb the staircase. Yeah. And there might be like obstacles like on the staircase and it's your job to maneuver through it and make it to the top. But if you just keep on walking, it's there. Now that's really boring for us because the same thing over and over again. And then you have entrepreneurship. And then the idea of entrepreneurship is that, hey, we're in between two really scary mountains. There's like a death trap fall. And there is this like really dodgy bridge made of rope and wood. And you have to run across it as fast as you can before it disintegrates. All right. And you fall to your death. So that's what entrepreneurship is like. But the thing is, that also doesn't work for the ADHD brain because for us, that still asks for a repetitive action. That means you're only as good by how fast 
you can run across that bridge. Mm-hmm. When really, ADHD entrepreneurship is about rock climbing. So with rock climbing, you could look up to the top, you could have a vague idea of how you're going to get there. But the thing is, every time you climb a rock, like you, with every new step that you take, you have a new vantage point and you can see, oh, wait, these are the new rocks I can grab mm-hmm. onto. These are mm-hmm. the new rocks that I can step on. Now, w- the where you can go and your options only reveal themselves once you're at the new position. And that is the best because then you don't have it all worked out and you don't have to do the same thing over and over again. And that's basically, yeah, so I totally understand why the first year would have been so terrible. My God. Yeah, because I was trying to run across the bridge, different bridges as fast as I could. And now, I like when you were describing that, I was like, that is exactly where I am right now. We're climbing the rocks. We're following the fun, right? I'm doing the things that light me up and give me excitement. I just, I'm in my head, I'm like seeing that episode of Friends where Ross is in the stairwell and he's just like, pivot, pivot. <laughs> I think that's a really good image too for how it can feel like looking back now, right? Like I have hindsight and it makes it so much easier to say, oh, this is what was happening. It was harder when I was in it because I just didn't know. But looking back, I now realize that part of the reason I did those big industry jumps was because not just new room, new me, like rearranging my furniture makes it a new house and I love it. But it made me realize that I was making those really big pivots and like yelling pivot because I thought that would solve my burnout because I didn't recognize that my burnout was coming from me trying to fit myself into a system that was not built to support me or allow me to succeed or do any of that. Preach, girl, preach. Yeah, 100%. I want to give you like a standard ovation. Well, let me add like another so another layer that i've observed in your story is like your pivots they're not like oh yeah let me dabble in this and start at the very bottom you you go straight into overachiever mode and you're just going for the big guns mm-hmm. and i think that doesn't get enough airtime because when people i think a lot of what you see online and when they talk about adhd the way that it works is that you can your ADHD will manifest in its own unique way. And then mm-hmm. what ends up happening is your coping strategies end up either being adaptive or maladaptive. Now, depending on your environment, depending on your upbringing, all that, that contributes to your coping strategies. If your coping strategies are to be like, look a girl, and to completely overachieve, and overwork and just throw yourself away. If you have any kind of perfectionist tendencies, anything like that, it ends up working really well for you on paper. Yeah. Because you oh, yeah. end up achieving and doing these amazing things. You sound so impressive. Everyone's, oh my God, how did you even do that thing? Usually people would work so hard just for one industry. Here you are hopping industry to industry. And it's so funny seeing it from the outside, like seeing you jumping around. And for you, it sounds like something so, yeah, of course I'm going to, Of course, I'm going to just jump to this thing because it's not working. Let me see. But the thing is, your ability to jump into the deep end like that and just give your all and then have this huge learning curve and then mail it, that is one of your ADHD strengths. That is such a, like, that's so cool. You get to see that in action, even though it wasn't where you wanted to be. That's something that you can do that most people can't do. 
And I, I love the way you put that because it is something that I've realized is my ADHD superpower. I, for me, thought it was a like a survival technique. I grew up in a very traumatic situation. It was terrible. But part of my coping mechanism was to be the good girl that nobody had to worry about. I did great in school, but only if I did everything the night before. Mm. Could never work ahead. Yes. And, but like my ability to jump in retain information and then get an A or like really nail a presentation, that was my superpower. And I think for a lot of the time too, because it was the 90s, we didn't know as much. I'm going to, you know, we just did it. The 90s were lawless. Nobody cared what kids, it was crazy. But we were just sending <laughs> kids true. out. To, we were sending kids <laughs> out into these streets and being like, see you later. No phones, no anything. But Literally, um, that was me in the woods. I would just go into, I got lost in the woods once. I was five. Yeah. It's okay. Made it out alive. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And yeah. and it's even worse when you're in a place like Australia or like Florida, which I feel like is the Australia of the U.S. because everything is trying to kill you. We've got gate, like all the, snakes, <laughs> all the spiders, all the large reptiles that are like dinosaurs. Like, I don't oh, know. That's so true. I had to move to DC to find to understand that like growing up learning how to survive was not normal. So like <laughs> we didn't have that understanding, and also because girls are so much less likely to get diagnosed at a young age. At least I think they're getting better about it now, but back then especially, it was looked upon as like a weakness. Like why can't you just work ahead? Why can't you be more organized? Why is your room always a mess? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know exactly where everything is. Ask me where something is. I'll tell you exactly and what it's underneath and where it is in relation to the rest of the room. Like the spatial awareness was there, but it was always perceived as a weakness. So it took a really long time for me to recognize it as a strength. And I think that is one thing that has really served me in my entrepreneurial journey, especially being in marketing. I'm able to dive in and learn a brand and learn a voice and just really jump in head first and hit the ground running instead of having to take the, the long training curve that it would take to onboard a new employee or something like that. So I really appreciate that. That makes me, I'm really grateful that you said that. My pleasure. We have another, I don't even know how much time we have left. It's a while, but I'll appreciate you <laughs> more for the rest of it. I'm just warming up. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, all these such cool strengths and then all these things that we like internalize as moral failings. Like mm -hmm. I also said when I wasn't diagnosed, I had no idea. I just thought that I had a motivation problem and I had to work out. I, I had a, a motivation and a will problem. I just yep. had to will myself to do it. And look, like I was able to will myself to do things, but I would always burn out. I would always mm -hmm. end up either like really sick or having to recover for weeks on end or even in hospital when I would push through. Mm -hmm. I've paid the consequences, I've yeah. paid the consequences of those workarounds mm -hmm. and when I started looking into the neuroscience and like really looking at ADHD and from like a system design perspective, mm -hmm. that's when I started realizing like, oh, it's just a design flaw. Like the systems that we engage in when they don't work for ADHD, they don't work for nuance. They don't work for variation. They don't work for anyone that's out of the norm. Yeah. So that is a design flaw. And then ADHD and ADHD brain is a design feature. 
it's in the same way like we have biodiversity mm -hmm. we have neurodiversity it's the same and it's i think that it's so much wasted mental energy when we are trying to find all these different ways to go the extra mile just so we can appear that we're keeping up with everybody else when it's, it's very clear we have all these strengths and if that was actually just cultivated and used then we could actually like bring so much to the table because it was never a question as to whether we could bring something to the table or not no. it was a matter of are the conditions there for us to be able to have a seat at the table in a way that actually works with our brains in a way that we're just naturally made yeah and i think that's what's changing although let me tell you like i've been because i've been in the the entrepreneurial space and i was consulting for lots of startups so it's like a lot of innovative thinkers a lot of startup founders have adhd i keep on seeing yeah. that and so i i was used to like people having, it's 2024, yeah? So I was used to people having a certain level of like acceptance of ADHD. And then now launching my consultancy and being in the corporate space, especially with consultancies, because a lot of consultancies bring in divergent thinkers who are yep. the divergent thinkers and you're a divergent people. So the consultancy actually like was modeled around people from BCG that came to me. Yeah that were like, we have an ADHD problem in the workplace and we don't know what to do. And we sat and we spoke about it, but we actually don't have any solutions. So it was actually made for consultants in the, the big three. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned McKinsey, but the, the thing that really surprised me the most, and I probably should have seen it coming, is that there's still so much stigma and taboo at work in the corporate section. I wasn't expecting that. And also they still don't understand ADHD. Like, no. I was speaking to someone last week. They actually, they invited me to speak on their podcast and it was part of the pre-selection yeah. chat. And he goes to me, he's, he asked me about my consultancy. I tell him and cause he's in the business space and he works mm -hmm. for corporate as well. And he goes to me, oh, I have worked in corporate for 30 years and I've never met someone with ADHD in corporate. I'm well, I was like, shit mm. on that. Oh, it, it just reminds me of like the time, the, the 50s or the 60s or whatever, where they're like, I've never met someone who's gay. The gays right. aren't around. And that's like, you're kidding me. Oh, they're here. They're here. <laughs> they're they're here, here and they're very queer. <laughs> oh my God. So well, it's just, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's even in the way they phrased it, right? The AD, we have an ADHD problem, not we don't know how to how to provide the best opportunities or to help our ADHD people with ADHD to be more productive. It's we have an ADHD problem and we don't have a solution. And I think too, when you get into that, they want the divergent thinkers, but they don't want to give them the environment that they need. They want the divergence to fit so nicely into their little the neurotypical gays. Which yeah. we were talking before this about personality types and signs. Natana is also an Aries. It's, it's a great time. But you asked me about MBTI and I shared how I hated it. <laughs> and not because of it as like a principle or anything, but just because when I worked at McKinsey and actually even at the CIA, when I first started there, they used it to justify why you were a good fit for whatever you were doing. Interesting. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so Shocking. fascinating. And 
a job based on manipulation. They're trying to manipulate you. What? No um, way. But, but at McKinsey, we would do these trainings. And I don't, I haven't worked at McKinsey in a while. So I can't say if this is still a thing. But on the name tag, like on your training name tag, you had to write your MBTI type as if it was a part of your core identity. And especially as somebody with ADHD, don't try to put me in a box and don't try to tell me, don't try to tell me this is who I am because I will show you what I am. I will show you who I am. <laughs> I, I, I love that. It's like the ADHD Aries mix where you're like, is that a challenge? Yeah. Are I'm you like, underestimating bet, me? But fuck around and find out. I'm going to do this. Like, <laughs> Story of my life. That actually motivated me to prove a lot of people wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, people wrong. So many people wrong. And, and it's turned out in some of the best like growth areas of my life because of that. Yeah, like I would say it's in spite of, not even yeah. because it's giving them no, way too much spite. credit. Yeah, no, not yeah. because of, in spite of, it's because of my Aries ADHD yes. energy is what it is. Okay, bet. You think I can't do this? Let's go. <laughs> it's so true. Boxes are so dumb. And honestly, it's really interesting because I even see that in ADHD circles. I see a lot of people that are like, I think I have ADHD. I resonate with it, but I don't really need the label. And I, I get it. I totally get it. I, I understand how people don't want to box themselves in because of what they think it means. And also I think there's power in, there's power in knowing that is an aspect of you rather than a definition of you. Because I think what a lot of people, a lot of what I see like neurotypicals saying is like, oh, everyone has a little ADHD. <laughs> Oh, they say, uh, everyone is making ADHD a personality. And I think that gets in the way of advocacy because they see it as, oh, it's just in right now. And it's, it's, we've always been here. It's just, we've been suffering in silence. And now we don't want to suffer in silence. <laughs> now we actually, the way that I see it is that the world's pretty, the world has a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. There's no shortage of problems. And the problems are getting more complex and a whole lot worse. And we can't solve we can't solve today's problems with the same thinking that brought us here and we need divergent thinkers we need people that are like hey let's connect this crazy thing with this thing and let's mm -hmm. see what happens we need experimenters those are going to be the kind of people that actually usher in changes and solutions that we need so they need us yeah and i love what you said there because diversity of thought is such an important piece of innovation of moving forward and especially in the corporate world that this is how we've always done it mindset is always it blows my mind it blows my mind i still don't get it where it's like this idea of actually i have a theory for this because with us we have with adhd there's time blindness um, oh so yeah i'm aware <laughs> <laughs> so for us history doesn't mean what it means to other people for us, the past, it informs the future, but it's not weighted. Whereas I find for a lot of neurotypical thinking, the past heavily weighs the future. And I've never understood that constraint. I've never yeah. understood like, yeah, okay, but that's the past. What, why we're choosing to bring it into the future. So why does, does that it still, still work? Right. Yeah. It's looking at it from an objective instead of a like emotional perspective of, hey, this is something we've been doing. Let's look at it and just see if it's still working. If it's still the most op like the most optimal way, like even from 
an efficiency standpoint, let alone like anything else. Because if there's one thing people with ADHD know how to do, it's how to work smarter, not harder. <laughs> that yes. has been one of my superpowers. If there is going to be a way that is like more automatic or more like easy or more simple workflow to get mm -hmm. the same exact thing done and maybe even get it done better because you don't have to be as like manually involved. That's something that I've always done at my jobs. Hey, why are we doing this? Does this make sense? Because it, it doesn't. One of your strengths, yep. because the thing is, usually you, you would know change management and all of that. Usually they'll get a whole team that don't is it, mm -hmm. that isn't even part of anything operational. They're outsiders. They come in and they now have to spend all this time and energy and you're paying them to be able mm -hmm. to have this huge learning curve to just even get in the know remotely mm -hmm. and then come up with a solution when it's not nah, the people that are in it will actually know the pain points so much better and you actually just give them a chance they'll be able to 10x the efficiency of your company and that's one of the ways that you can use adhd brains in business together there's so many oh, but I and i will part say part of me yeah go no, ahead go ahead, go ahead. I already forgot. <laughs> okay. I was going to say the flip side of that is too, but don't ask us and tell us you're going to do the things and then don't do them because what that's going to do is deflate us and we're never going to tell you anything again. I'm just yes. going to be like, why am I going to put the thought effort into it if you're yeah. not going to do anything? Yeah. Uh, and you know what's really interesting? There's this, have you heard of the free energy principle? I feel like I have. It's this piece of neuroscience that came out a few, maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. And basically it's the concept of that the, the brain wants to use the least amount of energy mm -hmm. as possible. Yes. And when you look at a lot like ADHD, people usually think dopamine. That's the only thing, but it's a crime just to see it from that perspective because yeah. there are all these structural differences. There's white matter abnormalities, the different regions like brain connectivity networks that are overactivated, underactivated. And when you look at that and you connect it with the free energy principle, you start seeing that, wait a second, the ADHD brain actually manages its energy extremely differently to a neurotypical brain. And how does the brain actually control what it spends its energy on and what it doesn't spend its energy on attention if it doesn't want you spending energy on something that it is deemed a poor use of your energy it will try and distract you it will mm -hmm. bypass your attention because it's like this isn't worthy of it when it comes to what you were saying where people are like ah, oh, like they'll ask for your opinion then not implement anything or dismiss it your brain's okay great not a good use of energy not giving it to you anymore it's not even a matter of it's not even like it's RSD and your butt heard about it. It's yeah. just your brain has labeled it as nah, it's not a good use of energy. So mm -hmm. what's the point? You're actually an efficiency machine. <laughs> yeah, because if you're not going to do anything with what I'm spending hours doing, and it's so funny because like now being working for myself, I have a lot more freedom to speak up and say those things, especially to my mm -hmm. clients, right? Like they're paying me and I'm like, hey, if you're not using this, isn't a good use of your money or my time. And I had that happen with a corporate client this week. And they're like, you know what? It's right. And I was like, so let's like make this process a little better. And I think that that is such a good point because 
we are such efficiency machines that when we do push ourselves to the point of burnout, I feel like it's that much worse. But I think the pandemic is one of the things that has really made ADHD people not want to suffer in silence anymore. It's made us like really, and also for me personally, it being able to work remotely gave me the freedom to really explore how can I be my best self? Like, how can I be the most productive and the least burnt out at the same time and better manage my energy? Women in the corporate world, we already have that layer of our hormonal cycles have an impact and that can also impact like your ADHD and we're being forced to fit into a system and like a time frame that really isn't one that necessarily works with our rhythms and bodies. And so I'm curious if you've seen a difference in how ADHD can both be a superpower and negatively impact women in the workplace. What do you see most people struggling with when it comes to that? Okay, firstly, there was like this new piece of research that really did a deep dive into the effects of estrogen, mm-hmm. uh, estrogen on ADHD. I haven't had a chance to like go into it properly, but it's pretty groundbreaking and we go really into depth with it. But yeah, we could geek out on that in the future. It's very cool. Please. Um, <laughs> with women, you have the whole like inattentive ADHD. You have a lot of mind wandering. A lot of our ADHD ends up being very invisible. And what it means is that it's a few things. If you look at the way women, I guess, typecast when it comes to corporate, they get given a lot of caregiver, caretaker roles. They get told, like, they'll they'll be given, like, a lot of extra jobs that Mm -hmm. involve that kind of stuff. And there's this assumption that you're extra nurturing, that you're going to go out of your way. There's this idea that you've got to keep this air of niceness and all of that. And if we look at hidden emotional loads, that's already a lot for a woman let alone add that to a woman that's trying to not only read the room and work out what the expectations are and meet those expectations while maintaining respect, also trying to keep her train of thought, also trying to articulate herself and not go into too much detail about certain aspects of her point or her idea because Mm -hmm. she knows that she needs to unite everyone at the same time there's this expectation that she has to meet everyone's emotional needs at the same time that's a lot of processing to do and the thing is that with adhd you're already a lot of people with adhd are hyper empathetic Mm -hmm. so we're already feeling people's feelings a lot and trying to what ends up happening is you get this loss of a a sense of self, where do I end? Where do other people begin? There's this enmeshment that happens because you're trying to cater so much. And in doing that, it comes with this huge hidden cost. And often you end up paying those costs outside of office hours. You're wrecked when you get home, you're exhausted, you're burnt out. And then that spills over to the new work week and all of that. And it, it feels like it's a you problem. Mm-hmm. that it's about your capacity and if only you were stronger or you had better boundaries then it'll be good but at the or end more of the discipline day, is- yeah oh why aren't you getting up at 4 a.m drives me crazy and for the record i love getting up at 5 a.m i used to do 4 a.m i like right. it i really do your best but you know. that isn't gonna solve anything that's ridiculous 
It's so ridiculous. And the problem that I kept on finding over and over again is that the, the, the weight adds on and adds on. You're carrying so much of this invisible mental load and it comes at such a high cost. At the end of the day, you could be the most disciplined person. You could have the most willpower. You could have the perfect diet, the perfect sleep schedule. You could have the perfect relationships. You can even say the perfect things at work. At the end of the day, you're still going to have that huge mental load and it's still going to come at this cost. And that's because the onus is on the individual. The onus is on you because it's seen as a you problem. When in reality, if this, yeah, if this just happened to you and no one else in the world, maybe it would be a you problem. Yeah. The fact that it's happening to you and so many other people in the world shows that it is a, it, it's a design flaw within the system. Mm-hmm. And women with ADHD pay the price twice. That's so powerful. And it's so true. And I, and while I do think that in a lot of ways, we're now more open to talking about things, I think, in my mind, I feel like there's more neurodivergent people than there are neurotypicals. Everybody just embrace it and let's go. But I think that also, as somebody who's been single, my whole, pretty much my whole adult life, like that compounds that mental load. And so what happens is because I am masking so much at work and I am so hyper attentive and hyper attuned at work, the executive dysfunction when I get home, next level, my home was a wreck. I'm eating whatever is fast, whatever is easy, whatever I don't have to think about is what is going to happen. And it could even, and and honestly, it really contributed a lot to some depressive episodes that I had, some really major ones, because I was so overwhelmed and I felt like such a failure that I could not meet my basic needs at home because I was so burnt out and exhausted from what I was doing at work, even if I was working at home. And like that just, it's such, it's so aggressive. And I think that as women too, I, at least for me, I've always been a very hyper independent person and asking for help has never been something that is very easy for me. I can ask a question about a work thing. No problem. But asking for help and raising my hand and being like, Hey, I took on too much. Not a thing. Nope. And that was something that really became like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I feel like in my corporate life. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I realized that in my last corporate job. And I had a manager who I could have these conversations with and she could tell Mm. when it was like me stepping into an ADHD superpower or me stepping into an ADHD spiral. (laughs) It was, it's really helpful. She's one of my best friends now. She's actually been on the pod, but that was probably the most nurturing thing, but it also, it had, it almost had to be another female who was giving me that nurturing and stepping into that role and taking care. It's such a double-edged sword for women in the workplace. And especially if they have ADHD and then you're also like, if you add on the mental load of what you have going on at home to all of that. And the fact that women tend to, I know there was a study done at some point, but I don't know the stuff off the top of my head, but even in partnerships, women tend to bear more of the mental load of the things that are happening, at least in the US, I think the study was, but it just, I don't even have the words. It upsets me and it breaks my heart. And I don't know. What are some tools? Let's get practical. 
what are some tools or signs that maybe someone's approaching burnout or maybe that they could use to help keep themselves from hitting burnout if they are a woman in the corporate world? With ADHD, we have this proprioception quirk. So we are really bad at actually reading the cues from our bodies. And it works to our advantage when we're hyper-focusing. We don't feel hunger. We don't feel our yeah. bladder. Yeah. No. Actually, I think my bladder is the one thing I do feel. But <laughs> outside of that, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and what ends up happening is by the time our body is screaming at us, it's too late. And it actually you got to use twice the amount of effort to actually undo the damage that was done. And it's easier said than done to be to say, oh, we'll just catch the signs earlier or pace yourself or make sure you eat consistently or make sure that you're taking breaks. That kind of advice works really well for neurotypicals, but not good for neurodivergent brains. There's some really early signs of burnout that are very specific to ADHD. When you think of, we have stims, like little things that maybe. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. I've got think plenty. Of, <laughs> I, I create new ones on the daily. Oh, same. <laughs> so many. It's like a library. It's like a catalog. And then the best thing is like when you remember a stim that you've forgotten and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Love it. So, I do the same thing with the hyperfixation yeah. foods sometimes. You know how yes. you can like, get hyperfixated on a meal and then all of a sudden it's gross? Like when you remember one and I'm like, that is what I want right now. And it's like the best thing since like- Best thing ever. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's amazing. Okay. So you were say- that is a really sophisticated way that you could start getting early signs that maybe something's a bit off. Mm-hmm. So if you find that the usual stims that you're using- we're not using them as much because they bring joy. If you're like singing to yourself and you have a song that you constantly sing or whatever it is, there's this little sense of happiness that you get from it. You get that little rush. If you're mm-hmm. starting to not get those rushes, if life is starting to feel a little bit more dull, even just in very subtle, like you don't get the same amount of joy from like any sensory experiences that you usually really enjoy. For me, that's let's say coffee. Like I, it's like my little my little treat in the morning is that first sip of coffee. I love it, and I know that if I have days where that coffee just isn't doing it, I know that is very beginning of something being off. So just think about the different sensory experiences that bring you joy. It could be food, it could be smell, it could be sight, touch. Even when it comes to relationships and when you're, you're speaking to friends and the way that you connect, it's very often, you know, how we love when we info dump, but we're doing like the swap. We're like, this is my latest hyperfixation. Yes. If you're not yes. doing that as much, if you can't remember the last time that you did, that's a sign that something's a little bit off. If you haven't gone on a little like detour where you've discovered something really fun you've done this deep dive that's a sign if you haven't hyper focused in a while that's another sign because hyper focus really is a key it's a core component of our actual being mm. is regularly hyper focusing on things they don't necessarily have to be like productive or anything because right. even procrastinating actually has a positive 
value when it comes to the, the benefits that we get from hyperfixating because it you get neurogenesis from procrastination mm-hmm. because you're building new brain cells, little baby brain neurons. Every time you procrastinate, if you are hyper-focusing and procrastinating. So it's good. You're actually building your brain capacity because Dr. Caroline Leaf talks about it. She hasn't connected the dots that it's that, that she hasn't connected the dots to ADHD specifically, right. but she's connected the dots to like, focusing on something Mm and i i connected the dots being like wait we hyper focus on a lot of things and sometimes it's not related to the things that we're doing in fact we're avoiding it there must be a positive reason as to why we do it there must be a design to that and that's the design element it's like when we procrastinate we're building up our brain capacity because we're using neurogenesis to then come back to the task at hand that you were avoiding, but your brain capacity is larger. So if you're not hyper-focusing, if you're not procrastinating in a way that feels good and you feel energized, those are signs that you're starting to burn out. I love everything you just said. I do. I have read do- some of Dr. Caroline Leaf's stuff, but one, I wish my mother listened to this so that she could know that procrastination is not bad. Because <laughs> 98% of my procrastinations are never product, not productive in a traditional sense. Like mm. I will crochet or I will knit or I will like, there are those types of hyper fixations. But I know that when I'm hyper fixating on scrolling on my phone, instead of doing something I enjoy, that's when I know that there's an issue. But I think too, it ties back in. There's been a lot of research in the, in recent years about the importance of play and incorporating that and how important it is for us to give our brains that time to go play and then come back to the problem at hand and how we can come back to it with fresh perspective. And I'm every time I hear it, I'm like, that's ADHD. <laughs> that's it what is. we've been doing. That's what we've been yeah. doing. Our life is play. Exactly. It's so funny when they come, you have these studies that come out and they're like, this is beneficial. And it's, I just want to be like, look at these people. They just are existing. This is what their existence looks like. I wonder if maybe maybe we should like look at what else they're doing because maybe it might be good for everyone else too. I have so enjoyed this conversation and I feel like there's so many more conversations we can have about this. So love to have you back on the pod whenever you want because I just, it really is just so important to have these conversations and really normalize it and understand what the science truly is behind it and that it's not just you avoiding something it's you your brain honestly working things through in the background so that when you come back to it you're good so I feel really affirmed after this and I appreciate that I feel like that was as good as a therapy session you're welcome (laughs) I love this I'm beaming too this is fun I'm like oh (laughs) Um, so before we head out, like, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about your work and the the tools and techniques that you teach with your company? Sweet. My name's Natana Mayer with the like, M-A-Y-E-R. So if you search for my name on TikTok, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, I'm there. Uh, my consultancy work designed for ADHD It's all about bringing those practices to the workplace. And I know that a lot of people don't want to disclose that they have ADHD because they're still worried that there'll be some stigma or that Mm -hmm. they'll be underestimated or they're basically like 
counting themselves out of opportunities. So that's why I am, I reach out to the HR departments myself mm -hmm. and I provide free resources for them to start sharing anonymously within their company so that people can start getting help. Cause I, I want to bring neuroinclusive work practices to every workplace. So if, yeah, if the people listening want to help me with that, want to help change the system from the inside out, I'm doing the heavy lifting. Like I'll advocate for you at work. I'll do it. And on top of that, I want you to be able to get the ADHD system design and like productivity help and all of that so that you could start designing systems that work with your brain. I want you to be able to get that on your boss's dime. I don't want you to have to pay a single dollar because honestly, it's your right to be able to do something like that. And instead of waiting for the world to change, we're going to start instigating the change. So if you want to bring this to the workplace and you want to do it anonymously, just go to my website. You could either just send it to your HR team or you could just fill in the form and then I'll reach out to them and they'll never know that it's from you. So yeah, and I share things even for like managers that have ADHD themselves. My more corporate stuff is on LinkedIn, so people can yeah. look there. But yeah, workdesignforadhd.com or Natana Mayer on Insta, LinkedIn, or TikTok. I, and I love that you give the option for the safe space to reach out so that HR doesn't necessarily come back and be like, why did you ask for this? That is so cool. And honestly, just super inclusive. And I love that. And We'll make sure to have all of those links in the show notes too, so that you can go follow her easily because I've gone through some of your content and it's really good. And did I really you? enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. I did on a little which platform? Stalking. <laughs> I did a little stalking on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, they're very different, TikTok yeah, and Instagram. They're very different, but I really enjoyed it. And I like to do a little stalking, but our vibes were just so right before we recorded that I was like, this will be great. This will be great. We just hit it off. I so appreciate you and yeah, we'll definitely have you back. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on Ditch the Ick. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Ditch the Ick Pod. You can shoot us DMs, listener stories. In our highlights, you'll see some listener story prompts. You can share them with us anonymously or with your name. It's up to you. But we always love to connect and get to know you on social. And if you haven't already, head to patreon.com slash ditch the egg. You'll see a couple of different levels where you can subscribe and get access to exclusive content, get early access to the videos. In some cases, you get first dibs on listener stories. So make sure you head over there and subscribe. It really helps keep this going. If you're looking to join the community, meet some other single people, maybe you need some new friends, share your thoughts, comments, responses to the episode. You can head over to Facebook. We've got a free private group called Ditch the Ick. And it's going to be a really safe space for us to share our stories, connect, and make friends.